Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church and those who are visiting, can I tell you I love you and I'm so grateful that you're here today. Um, as we get ready to open up God's Word here in just a minute, I will acknowledge something I want to say right from the forefront. This is not an easy day for everybody. This is a very difficult day for many different people, and I hope as I open up God's Word that it will bring encouragement to every soul in this room for several different reasons. In this room today, there are those whom have lost mothers that they've loved, and there are some in this room who want to be moms. This is why I'm so grateful for the cross. Because at the cross, in the church, we have so many mothers that we can embrace. And for those that wanted to be mothers, we have so many children that we can embrace as our very own. And what I want to do today is I want to stand right at the foot of the cross as Jesus is being crucified. And I want to look at this sacred moment in his life between him and his mother and the apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I want us to see four different angles of how the church views moms. The question that I wanted to ask, something to think about here this morning is this, how does being a Christian change the way we look at mothers? How does being a Christian change the way we look at mothers? Because let's face it, Mother's Day is an American holiday, and this morning there are mothers all over this country who are waking up to burnt toast and are waking up to hugs and snotty noses and all kinds of fun things, and not all of them are Christian. Not all good moms are Christian. There are good moms who don't know Jesus, but they've just been good mothers. They've raised their children uh, to respect others. They've raised them to be good citizens in our country. They've raised them to, to understand good manners. But here's what I believe. If we are born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it should change the way we look at everything, including mothers. It should change the way that we see mothers, and it should change the way that mothers see us. So again, I, I want to get to the big idea. What's the big idea? What are we going to look at as we look at John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27 today? Well, the title of our message is Meeting Mothers at the Cross, and the big idea is this. At the cross of Christ, we truly see what mothers mean to the kingdom of God. So if you have a Bible, would you please turn with me to John chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 25 through 27. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Grab one in the pew in front of you. We'll be on page uh, 1076 in your pew Bibles. Again, page 1076 in your pew Bibles. And if you would stand at this time out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. Okay, we are in John chapter 19. And we are going to be reading verses 25 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. And Father, we're grateful for the cross. 
We're grateful for the church that is possible because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Friday and His resurrection from an empty tomb on Sunday. And Father, we know this to change the way that we look at mothers, the gift that You've given us to nurture the church and the way that they love us and the way that we should love them. So Father, I pray that You help us in this time to really capture the moment as Your Son was being crucified And his mother stood at the foot of that cross being embraced by the Apostle John. Help us to see these four perspectives of how we should look at mothers. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your son. We thank you for mothers who are nurturing our church every day. And we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, as we open up this passage, there's, again, four things that I want us to see. And here's what I'm hoping for this message here this morning. As, as I read through this, I don't know if when you read the scriptures, if you picture these scenes unfolding in your mind, but I want to I bring us right to the foot of the cross, and I want us to be standing right outside the scene so that we can see Jesus on the cross, and at the foot of the cross, we can see his mother, we can see John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, we can also see uh, Mary's sister, we can see Mary Magdalene, but I want us to get this scene And then as I walk through different passages in Scripture, I want us to to segue to these different passages of Scripture and these different scenes in our mind to fully grasp what it is that Mary was thinking and what it is that Mary was seeing in this moment of crucifixion. So as we talk about meeting mothers at the cross, the first of the four points that I'd like to make is this. Number one, at the cross, a mother was committed. All right, verse 25 again says this, but standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, why is this important? Well, at this very moment, as Mary is looking up at the Lord Jesus Christ, she is seeing her Savior, and she's also seeing her Son. And she's seeing these two things simultaneously. And if we go all the way back to the beginning, when Mary first found out that she was going to have a son as a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and that this son was going to bring salvation to the world, I want to take us from that scene and fade out of it and fade into this scene right here where the angel of the Lord is explaining to Mary that she's going to be conceiving a child as a virgin who would be the Savior. I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture, so if you're a note taker, just write down the verses because I want to go through at a decent pace here. But Luke chapter 1, verse 35 says this. As an angel of the Lord is pronouncing her pregnancy, the angel of the Lord says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the moment in which Mary realizes as a Jewish woman that prophecy is being fulfilled and that God is going to do it through her very womb. So she's excited to be a mother. But she's also embracing this supernatural fact that she's going to have a child even though she's still a virgin because she's been conceived of the Holy Spirit. This is just astounding. But let's fade from that scene into the next one. All right, as she gives birth in the manger, we go to Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. And we see these shepherds that are told a king and a savior is born and they go bolting into the manger. And here's what happens. And starting in verse 15, it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now here's the key, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So you have Mary who's told by an angel she's going to conceive of this child. Then she gives birth to the child and the shepherds come and tell her exactly what the angel told her before, that this is going to be the Son of God. This is going to be the Messiah. And it says in this passage in verse 19 of Luke 2 that Mary treasured these things in her heart and she pondered them. She began to think about what that meant for her as a mother, but also for her as a Jew, for her as a a, a person of God in the nation of Israel as fulfilled prophecy. And she's thinking and she's pondering and she's wondering how all this is going to come to fruition. Well, let's move a little further. We fade out of that scene. Now we fade into the next one. Luke chapter 2, verses 34 through 35. Now Jesus is old enough, just old enough, to be dedicated at the temple. And as they're walking into the doors of the temple, standing outside is this old man, Simeon. And Simeon had been waiting for this fulfilled prophecy before he, in fact, would die. And before his very eyes, the Lord opens his eyes to see that, in fact, this child is the promised Messiah. And here's what happens in verse 34 of chapter 2. It says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Simeon is proclaiming what he knows to be true, that this fact is the Messiah, but that when the Messiah comes, he's going to have to be crucified. And in this crucifixion, it's going to, it's going to show the honesty of the hearts of all who are there to witness it. Because some praise Jesus, and the others are the ones that put him on the cross. So she's pondering all of this in her heart, And then finally, we segue a few more years, okay? We're watching this movie through the eyes of Mary. We're fast-forwarding just a few years to a a young boy in the temple teaching. Jesus has wandered away from mom and dad, or mom and caregiver. We call Joseph the caregiver, not dad, because God the Father's dad. And he wanders from them, and they find him later teaching in the temple, and they say, where were you? Well, in Luke chapter 2, verses 49 through 52, It says, starting in verse 49, and he he said to them, meaning Jesus, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now here's the key. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So think about all of this. Mary's been told by angels, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Then she does give birth to the Messiah, and shepherds come in and worship. And then days later, he's presented at the temple, and a man standing outside the temple claims that he's fulfilled prophecy, and he worships. And then all of a sudden, years later, she goes into the temple, and once again, Jesus is speaking, and he's teaching with this profound wisdom that no one his age could possibly have. And it says that his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. But here's what I love about Mary. Not only is she thinking about all of these things and witnessing all these things, we fast forward now to when Jesus is 30 years old. Historians say that's when he began his three-year earthly ministry. And wouldn't you know the first miracle that he does publicly? Mary's standing right next to him as it happens. Okay, if you don't remember, it's the the wedding in Cana of Galilee when he turns water into wine. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 say this. 
On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she's been following this entire journey, and now as he's prepared to turn this water into wine, she realizes that he's initiating this public ministry, and what he came to do is now starting to unfold. And that brings us right to where we are, where we started in John 19 at the foot of the cross. What took place minutes before Jesus calls out to his mother. Here's what happened. John 19, just a few verses before, 16 through 19 say this. So they took Jesus... And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with, two, with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So Mary has seen all of it. She was told by the angel that he is God. And she would give birth to him. She is told by the shepherds after giving birth that in fact he is God. She's told by Simeon at the temple that he is God. Later, she watches him teach in the temple and sees that he is God. Then he turns the water into wine. And again, she's there the whole time. From the first ministry to the very last one on the cross, Mama was there. Mary was there. Mary was committed. And what I want to say before we move on to point two is this. What Mary teaches us is that Christian mothers are committed to their children, but also to the church. Because remember, that is her Savior, and it's her Son. And I believe that Mary is there for both of those reasons. She's there because it's her Son, and she loves her Son. But she's also there because she's a Jew. Because she's a part of the nation of Israel. She's a child of the Most High God. She is there for fulfilled prophecy. She is there because she knows through the shedding of that blood and the rising from the dead three days later that her sins, as well as the sins of the rest of the world who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be forgiven. She gives mothers the perfect role model, the perfect example of a woman who is committed to her church, but also committed to her child. That moves us on to number two. At the cross, a mother was not only committed, but she was cherished. She was cherished. Look at just the very first few words of verse 26. It says, when Jesus saw his mother. Stop there for a second and think about this. Jesus Christ is on the cross. So at this moment, he's experiencing unspeakable physical pain. All right, he's got the nails that have been driven into his wrist and into his feet. He's bleeding to death. He's also suffocating because he's got to hold himself up to gasp for breath. You know, if you've never studied crucifixion, really it is a a slow death of suffocation is what it is. Most people will suffocate before they will ever bleed to death. But what happens? He's bearing the weight of the sins of mankind as God is pouring out his wrath on his son over and over and over. And yet, as he is gasping for breath, as he is crying out to God, he looks down. And he's concerned about his mother. Why is he concerned about his mother? Because he cherished her. Because he understood what an amazing gift that she was. You know, Jesus had to be born of a human being. Had to be born of a woman. Because we as human beings are sinful. 
And so he had to be fully God and fully man. He had to come into this world as a human being so he could experience everything that we've experienced yet without sin. So he had to be born of a woman, but of all the women that that God could have chosen, he chose Mary. And Jesus cherished her. He was concerned about her well-being in his final breath as he looks down at her. And he gives an example to all the sons in this room of what it is that God has called us to be as concerned about our mothers. You know, Mary, Mary certainly was a blessed woman. Now, a side note, uh, we, we certainly have some Catholic friends, some Catholic brothers and sisters who take uh, this understanding of the blessing of Mary to a place that as, as Southern Baptists that we wouldn't agree with, okay? We don't worship Mary, but we should cherish her, okay? She's not God, but she is the mother of our Lord and Savior, and she is to be cherished, but Jesus also shows us how it is that we should cherish our own mothers. But why is it that Mary, should, why is it that she's so blessed and that she should be cherished? Well, let me just say two quick things. First, there's a scene in Luke chapter 1 where Mary finds out she's going to get pregnant, and now she is pregnant, and she's going to see her cousin Elizabeth. If you remember this story, her cousin Elizabeth is the one who's going to give birth to John the Baptist, and Elizabeth is very old, and God enables her to, be, uh, to conceive And so they're both about ready to give birth. And when Mary shows up to see Elizabeth, here's what happens. It says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Here's the key verse. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She was blessed because she believed. And so it is every Christian mother in this room this morning. You are blessed because you believe. Because you are covered in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, you are given the promised gift of eternal life. And if you're following Jesus, you're becoming more like Jesus with every breath that you take. We are are blessed because we believe. And even though Mary's the mother of Jesus, we need to also remember that Mary is a Jew who becomes a Christian. She believes that God is going to forgive her sins through the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah. And she believes that her son Jesus, in fact, is. And she's there till the very end. So as Jesus cherishes his mother, Christian mothers are to be cherished by the church. We are to see them as an amazing gift. We are to love them. We are to care for them. We are to provide for them. We are to pray for them and, 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 and be with them and meet the needs that need to be met. Jesus models that for us, that in his final breath, he could have been concerned about so many different things, but his eyes were on his mother. And so should our eyes be on our mothers as well. So at the cross, a mother was committed. A mother was cherished. But number three, at the cross, a mother was commissioned. All right, look at the the last part of verse 26. It says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. You know, sometimes I know that Jesus is God because he's the only one that gets away with calling his mom woman. (laughs) I would not be standing here in front of you today if I addressed my mother with those words. 
In all, in all seriousness, that was not a term of disrespect in the context in which it was given. But Jesus can say whatever Jesus wants to say. Amen. So he says this to, to Mary. Behold your son. And Mary's standing right next to the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's John, part of the inner circle. And why does, why does he do this? Well, she's telling, he's telling her to embrace John as a son. And this gets right to the heart of how I started our message. Do you know in the church, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we know the word adoption with a capital A? Because I say this every week as I shake hands, hello, my sister, hello, my brother. I'm not just saying that to play games. It reminds me every day that you are, in fact, my brother, and you are, in fact, my sister. And for many of the women in this church, you are, in fact, my mother. And that's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of the church. There are many people in this room today, again, who are mothers who have lost their, their earthly children. But because of the church, you still have a huge responsibility to bring into your heart and bring into your arms the children of this church. And there are some of you in this church, again, who have wanted to be a mother and were not given that chance. But you have a huge responsibility to love and to mother the, the people of this church. And Again, there's some of you, like John, maybe don't have a mother, and God's called you to be embraced by the women of this church and allow them to be your mother. I, I can only begin to uh, thank God for what He's done for me through the mothers I have in the church. Uh, I want to say that my earthly mother is still alive and well in Philadelphia. I love her very much. I think she, uh, in a lot of ways, did the very best she could with me. Um, she's, I don't believe, is a Christian. Uh, she's not made a genuine profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in our relationship together, uh, I, I kind of limit the amount of spiritual things that we talk about because we are going in two separate paths. Now, my greatest prayer is that my mother would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what has helped me over the years? Because that's been my greatest sorrow and my greatest burden is that I can't share my faith with my mother. Let me tell you what has softened the blow. Let me tell you what has healed my wounds that I walk into the walls of this church and I've got more mothers than I know what to do with. And God has blessed me by every single one of them. I thought about my journey just the past few years. Uh, I started, I've shared some of my uh, denominational background story with most of you. Uh, several years ago when I first became a believer, I was a member at a real small church in Statesboro, St. Paul's Lutheran Church. If you've ever been on 67 as you're coming into town, it's that little church on the right across from Custom Marine, and it's, uh, it's a sweet little church. And I was a member there for two years, and the, the older ladies in that church took me in as their son. In fact, I remember one day I had bought one of these sport coats, and I was walking down the aisle because they always had me do the Scripture reading because I was the only one that could speak loud enough for everybody to hear without a microphone. The average age in the church, I think, was 78, so I was kind of the young guy <laughs> that could speak loud enough for everybody to hear. And as I'm walking down the aisle, I bought one of these new sport coats, and the back right here was not let out. It was still sewed together, and I hadn't thought about it. And I had two women chase me down the aisle with a pair of scissors. I said, wow, these women are, these women are looking out for me. They were concerned in the house of the Lord that I was not adequately prepared to worship. But then I think about my seminary years in North Carolina at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Some of them are probably listening to this uh, message and recorded online. And uh, I can think of several women who took me in and loved me and cared for me. God appointed for me to teach our uh, senior citizen uh, co-ed Sunday school class. All right, so these are, these are women who have followed the Lord for decades and decades and decades, and they really encouraged me. 
There was a time where I just wanted to get, I wasn't going to be a pastor. I was sitting in classes at seminary and I saw grown men who had already pastored churches weep. And they wept over the way that churches chewed them up and spit them out. How power hungry, you know, people in the church families and committees and all these people told the, the pastor to sit down and keep quiet. And they lost their, their, they lost their house. They lost their job. They had to run back home. And I just, I was scared to death. Like, who, why am I going to be a pastor? Uh, why am I, who knows that I could do a better job than any of them? But these women in this room kept saying, no, God's called you. You stand up and you preach God's word and you let God take care of the rest. I think about women like Martine Strickland and Nancy Boylan and Ruth Ann Guy and one woman named Betty Adams. Uh, Betty Adams found out pretty quickly that I care very much about fresh breath. And <laughs> she knows that I keep about 10 mints in my pocket just about every day. So whenever she went to the local steakhouse, they have those real fancy mints that are individually wrapped. She'd take about 50 of them and put them in her pocket. And then, then during the Sunday school hour, she'd say, come over here. I got something for you. And she'd slip him in my hand like she was slipping me a $20 bill. And she'd wink at me and say, there's more where that came from. <laughs> and uh, she, she invested in me. Something as silly as that. I mean, that's just a mother looking out for her children. You know, and, and finally, you know, I'm going to mention Cedar Street Baptist Church. I mean, I have more stories than I know how to confess behind the pulpit here. When I first landed on the doorstep at Cedar Street, I was uh, a little wet behind the ears, to say the least. I started off as just a Sunday school teacher. I taught uh, third, fourth, and fifth, and then sixth, seventh, and eighth, and then I moved on to, to high school kids as the youth pastor. And um, I remember confessing a story behind the pulpit that I burned biscuits because I didn't even have a cooking sheet to put them on. I was just putting frozen biscuits on the rack in the oven. <laughs> and I think a week later, I had three women stop by my house with three different cooking sheets. You know, I, I remember uh, Miss Sharon Herndon stopping at my house to give me furniture because I didn't have a desk to put a Bible on. I remember going into Sea Island Bank and getting dating advice from Debbie Jones just about every week. And when Debbie retired, now I'm barking up uh, Gwen Patterson's tree a whole lot now. So I'm just so grateful for, for the mothers that God has given me in this church. I still love my earthly mother. I'm still called to cherish her. I pray that she comes to the Lord. But all that pain that I've had that I can't share my faith with her, all the things that I wish my earthly family was, and maybe you're here today and you've got a broken family. Your parents are divorced. Your siblings don't talk. You've got, you, you just wish that your family was something that it's not. When you walk through the doors of the church, you've got a whole new family in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got more mothers than you know what to do with. And you can be embraced by them. And you can love them. And they can love you. That's the beauty of the, of the Christian family. It breaks all barriers. And I'm so grateful for that. And that leads me to fourth and finally. At the cross, a mother was committed. A mother was cherished. A mother was commissioned. And finally, at the cross, a mother was cared for. As we look at verse 27, now Jesus goes directly to the Apostle John and says, Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus say to Mary, Behold your son, and then say to John, Behold your mother? Well, I want us to think biblically here for a minute. We know, according to Scripture, that Jesus had at least four brothers. All right, and those four brothers are James, okay, that's the author of the book that we're reading right now, the book of James during our, our sermon series, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. 
And it says in John chapter 7, verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. And so we know eventually they did come to faith, but at the time of the crucifixion, his brothers did not believe in him. And so when Jesus was thinking about his mother and thinking about having her needs cared for, who did he call? He didn't call the other children of Mary. He called the disciple John because he is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew as a Christian, John would make sure his mother was taken care of. But as, as Jesus looked at John, so also he looks at all of us. And he says, are you beholding the women of this church as your own? Are you taking them in as your own? Are you meeting their physical needs? Are you meeting their emotional needs? Are you meeting their, their spiritual needs? Again, praise God for those of you in this room who still have earthly mothers who are on this earth that you can hug their neck and love them and they are priority number one. Cherish your mother. But know as if you're a member of this church or of any church who's a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't matter denomination. If you're a member of the church, are you cherishing and caring for the women that God has entrusted to you as members of your congregation. I think about that all the time. Our deacons talk about that in every meeting. Are we meeting the needs of the mothers who no longer have the children who can meet those needs for them? That's my prayer for this church, but that's my prayer for the capital C church as well. So let's sum all this up as we draw this to a close. As one family in the body of Christ, we need to love every mother as our very own. I mean it when I say it. When I hug the necks of the women in this church and I tell you that I love you, I love you as I love my own mother. And if I haven't, please forgive me because I want to love you as I have loved my own mother. Because it means that much to Jesus, it means that much to me. I pray the same for all of us. And as we, as we get ready to pray out, what's our takeaway for today? Well, I just have one thing for us to bury in our hearts. Bury these words in your heart and let God make it bloom. I want us to walk away today praising God for the mothers we have by birth and the mothers we have by adoption into the family of God. Again, I know today is it's a joyous day for some. It's a very difficult day for others. But I pray that the church would be the place where all of those wounds are healed. Where for the mothers that we do have, we can cherish them. For the mothers that we wish we had, we can find them. For those who wish they were mothers, you have children here that God has called you to take care of. And you are called to let them take care of you as well. Mothers are a precious gift to the Lord. Jesus, in his very final breath, was concerned about mama. And so should we be concerned about mama. As we get ready to pray out, I just want to say I love you. I pray that today is a special day for all the mothers in this room. But let us as the church care for mothers the way Christ has called us to. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we, uh, we're so grateful for your son who not only died for us, but also models for us what we should care about most in your kingdom. And mothers are at the very top of that list. Father, we thank you for Mary. We thank you for the mother of our Lord and the way that she was faithful to you and faithful uh, to her son, our Savior. And we're thankful for Christ who was faithful to her mother and showed us the example of how we can be committed to our mothers to the very end. Father, as we exit these doors and celebrate Mother's Day with our families, let us remember, help us to remember, the church is one family where for all the things we wished we had, we do have them in Jesus. It's in his name we pray and God's people said, amen.